Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. A long racetrack, though. Danny Hamlin is going to be the spoiler today. His 34th career win. Well, welcome to NASCAR America alongside Jeff Burton and Dale Jarrett. I'm Steve Latart. And guys, a great race at Pocono. So much to cover, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But guys, big news already on a Monday out of Hendrick Motorsports. A crew chief change at the 48 car. Race engineer Cliff Daniels will take over as Jimmy Johnson's crew chief, replacing Kevin Mendering immediately. I think that's the big news here. This is going to happen immediately. Daniels is a 31-year-old. He's previously worked at teams like Stuart Haas Racing, Joined Hedge Motorsports back in 2014, so he knows the organization. Uh, he's a race car driver. He's raced some late models in his day. He was there for the 2016 champion. I think we all knew it's been a rough year for the 48. Are we surprised they're making a change at this point in the season? Mm, no, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's getting down to the time. That they're still within shouting distance of getting into the playoffs. Uh, something needed to be done here. And uh, we've all been through this as far as whether you were a crew chief and, yeah. and replaced or got or you know went somewhere else. Jeff, we've had different crew chiefs. But there comes a time that you just have to say, this isn't working. We've got to do something different. And, and Jimmy Johnson, I think, uh, probably voiced his opinion. And this needed to be done sooner than later. Yeah, they are really difficult decisions because, remember, this is people's livelihood. Yeah. And not only that, they put their heart and soul into it, even if they're not having success that everybody wants to have. It's not that everybody's not trying. Uh, I spoke to Jimmy a little while ago, and uh, he feels terrible for Kevin because he really believes in Kevin. He said Kevin's still going to be at Henry Motorsports. You know, they're hoping to offer him something really good for Kevin because he thinks he can benefit the company. But he's also very excited about Cliff. He, you know, Cliff worked at that team. And he said when Cliff came back and started working on this team this year, that he had an energy. He brought this energy and enthusiasm. The whole team got picked up. Uh, and you guys know, like, personality matters, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and clearly, uh, Cliff's personality is such that he, he can lead people and get people fired up. And that's so important. When you get up in the morning and you do this week after week after week, and especially after not having success, you got to have a spark. you got to have something. you got to have a motivating factor. And Jimmy feels really good about what he can do technically, but also the way he communicates and how he's got everybody picked up, Jimmy's really excited about what they can do. So to just connect the dots on the timeline, from what I understand, uh, Daniels comes to Hendrick Motorsports, work with Chad Canals through the championship year, takes a role within the organization. Um, they call it their systems department with other engineers, but was called back out of the bullpen at Sonoma to join this 48. And I think that's the time you're referencing where they kind of felt the lift, the energy of Daniels. But guys, this is the simple fact about sports. What have you done lately? 
What have you done for performance? I have been in this frying pan. I went winless with Jeff Gordon, and guess what? Something changed. I got a new driver. It wasn't going to stay that way. And when you look at the points, something had to happen for this 48. Kevin Mendering, I am a huge Kevin Mendering fan. I think he is a bright, bright crew chief, but personalities have to mesh. Jimmy Johnson, I thought, perhaps wanted to be the leader. Maybe that's why they went that direction. I just think that maybe that's not the case. He liked having a leader like Chad. He's looking for another leader of the race team. He has every right to get the crew chief he wants um, at his age, at his resume. He deserves it. And when you look right here, Jimmy Johnson is not in the top 16 of points. I, I don't know how to say that. There's no way anyone sitting here predicted Jimmy Johnson may not make the playoffs. Well, look who's 12th, William Byron. So William Byron, you know, he moved along with 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 Chad Knauss. and William Byron has been outrunning the 48 lately. And you you know, seven-time champion. I'm yeah. sorry, William Byron should not be outrunning the seven-time champion. So you know, Jimmy Johnson has been the most important part of Hendrick Motorsports over the last. Seven, eight years, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, and, yes. And so yeah. when he's not, maybe longer, if he's not able to win and he's not able to be in the playoffs, something has to change. We talk about Chevrolet's problems. It's really, in my mind, a Hendrick Motorsports problem. Hendrick Motorsports is what makes the Chevrolet program look so good. And when you have Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time champion, that not leading laps, I mean, I mean, not doing the things we're expecting to see. Something had to change. There's no way around it. Well, Rick Hendrick gave his opinion on the change. Um, you know, the big thing is, you see right here, great confidence in Cliff, and which is, you know, of course he does. He made the decision. Ultimately, Rick Hendrick makes the decision yeah. there. There's a lot of people that advise him. But, Dale, I think what really turned the pressure up on this 48 is when the organization improved. And what I mean, at the yes. beginning of the year, you could say it was a Hendrick problem, it was a Chevy problem. All right, Chase wins, but that's at Talladega. We can look at that as the anomaly. But then all of a sudden, Alex Bowman's on fire. Second, second, second. Breakthrough win. Chase Elliott, I know he's had some tough luck, but I don't think we question that combination. They're kind of working through some things. And I think you mentioned the 24. While they haven't won, they're climbing in the points. In my mind, that put a glaring spotlight on the 48. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, when you sit down as an organization and and you have a seven-time champ and you're talking to him about having a new crew chief for the first time in his cup career, you know, all you can do is try to put the best person that you think that's within your organization or within your grasp uh, in that position. And Kevin Mendering is an excellent person as far as knowing this sport, the in and out. But Jimmy has always had the leadership of Chad Knauss which is uh, very high-strung and very forceful, and Jimmy has made they made that work. We all shook our heads at times, wondering why are these two even staying together. Well, That's they right. stay together because they won eighty-some races and seven championships. Right. But you had to question that. But this has to be that type of, of thing. Not saying that Cliff has to go be that, but I think that that Jimmy is looking for somebody with with higher energy, and sometimes you just have to make that change. Plus, now we've got another former driver uh, in this type of situation, along with Rodney Childress and Paul Wolf that are very successful at what they do. You know, the question that, that begs to be asked, though, no crew chief experience. Does that does that surprise anyone, right? I mean, I was fortunate enough that Jeff Gordon said, hey, you're going to be my yeah. guy. I, okay, I went and did the best I can. We had success. But are we surprised that it's not – they have a lot of people over there with crew chief experience. I can go through the Kenny Francis over there, Keith Rodden's over there, Darian Grubbs over there. There's a lot of experienced crew chiefs. Why do you think they go with a young up-and-coming? 
I, I, listen, I have no problem with it because in yeah. today's world, you know, they, they are hiring him to be able to take the resources that Hendrick Motorsports has and get it all together for that team, right? So from an engineering standpoint, he understands the engineering side of things. Uh, he obviously, you, Rick Hendrick just talked about he being the spark that the team needed. Uh, Jimmy Johnson talking about he had this energy about him. So they feel like technically he's good enough. And then also he has the right personality. Uh, to me, the bigger question, Right. To me, the bigger question is this. At 31 years old, is he, are you going to stand up to seven time? Yeah. And, you know, demand of seven time because he doesn't mind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson's a special person. He is he is so driven, but he doesn't mind you driving him either. He doesn't mind being pushed. So at 31, are you going to be able to stand up and say, look, Jimmy, this is what we got to do, right? Because I think Jimmy will accept it. Jimmy's yeah. the kind of guy that doesn't mind that. But that's hard to do. I can't even, I never won seven championships. I, I never won one. But even when I was an older driver, crew chiefs wouldn't stand up to yeah. me. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was the wrong thing to do. I need, I, we would have been way better off for a crew chief to say, no, we're not doing it like that. We're doing it like this. And we would have yes. been way better off to be yeah. that. I was in that situation, too. I laughed about Jimmy and Chad. But Todd Parrott was a lot like that. I appreciated that. But I could go back at him, and he could come back at me. And you have to have that. And Cliff is going to have to do that if this is going to work. I have no problem that he hasn't been a crew chief. I don't care what his age is. They Obviously, he knows a lot about this sport. And because the crew chief role, if, you, if this was – late 1990s and early right. 2000s before the engineering side of it took over so much, then you might have a little bit more of a problem. But not in this case. I think that that I think the biggest part is, Jeff, that you bring up is, is he willing to stand up to Jimmy Johnson? Jimmy knows a lot about what takes place over there, the changes of the cars and everything. So he has to be willing to stand up to Jimmy and say, this is the right thing for us. You get the job done because we know what you can do behind the wheel. Well, my advice will be to do it your way. I've had this opportunity before. Not every decision that I made was correct, but I always felt better. Win or lose yeah. when I did it my own day. And Cliff, good luck because you're heading to Watkins Glen. <laughs> and if Pocono's any sign, the pitch strategy at Watkins Glen could be <laughs> complicated. But uh, so I'm sure it's gonna, we're going to have to wait and see. But here's what's coming up on today's show. We're going to look at the turning point of Sunday's race at Pocono and what led Denny Hamlin to getting the win. And guys, we're going to have to discuss, talk about hot seats. We're going to talk about the Eric Jones situation at Joe Gibbs Racing and hear comments from Coach Gibbs himself after the race. And we'll also take a look at that impressive drive that Clint Boyer had on that final restart. And you never know, guys, those two laps could get Clint Boyer in the playoffs. How worried were you about fuel on that overtime restart? Yeah, I was really worried. Uh, I, yeah, really worried. Um, you know, we just did a great job with the car, and once we lost the uh, track position there to uh, the uh, 19 and the 20, I thought, you know, it's over. We weren't able to pass them, and I started to thank Pocono for putting in this PJ1 because I was able to use it there and get around those guys. We were in position there to win it, uh, or put ourselves in position to win, and. 11 got us there in that lap traffic, and once the caution came out, he had the, you know, on the restart, the outside is just, you can't do anything about it. You know, inside on the front row is just uh, sitting duck. So we were lucky to maintain um, on, on both of those restarts, starting on the bottom, and uh, come home third was a good day, and good weekend overall for us. Probably my least favorite part of racing at times is just having to save fuel, and, um, you know, our opportunity to win when we were going green was to make it to the end, and it would have been really tight. Um, 
those guys kind of gave up, I think, saving there, and we were hoping it was going to stay green. But uh, sure be nice just to uh, just to knock a win out, and we're just so close, it stings a little bit more when you get that, that close to it. The top three finishers from Pocono's Racing. Yes, Joe Gibbs Racing, one, two, three. But I won't lie, it's been a lot of ibuprofen today to get my headache to go away because that was a complicated race from on top of the pit box and a complicated race from up in the booth. And I know it was hard for the drivers behind the wheel to try to figure it out. And I think that brings us to the turning point, right? This race had so many twists and turns. There was really one moment, though, that I think this race completely changed complexion. If you go back and you see how this race started, these were the two dominant cars, Jeff, all day long, the 18 and the 4. The 18 was on a little different strategy than the 4, and we were just waiting to see which strategy was going to work out. Yeah, you see right here, the, the 18 getting by the 4 car. Uh, the 18, I think, had the fastest car for sure. He was in the best position. Uh, looked like he had a strategy he wanted to play, and the 18 had a strategy, the 4 had a strategy they wanted to play. Then this happened. <laughs> I put a tire blown on Chase Elliott, and now the games begin. DJ, everybody asks all the time, was that a good strategy? You tell me when the yellow is going to come, and I'll tell you if it yeah. was a good strategy. Yeah. This couldn't have been more perfect for Kevin Harvick. He had just pitted, which meant he was going to get track position. And then, in my mind, it was okay. You were unlucky. The 18 just needs to come to pit road. I think this is the moment that the 18 eliminates himself from competition baffles me why they didn't pit. Yeah, I wasn't sure about this, and I've never been a crew chief, and trying to make those decisions is very difficult, and I know you have a strategy going in, but I think right here, Adam Stevens could have deviated away from that and said, okay, now we have to look at the hand that we've been dealt. It's not going to be easy, but it's still doable until they made this choice to stay out. And the problem is, is they stay out. This is only 14 laps later. They didn't even have enough fuel to get to the end of stage two. The easiest way to pass somebody is when somebody takes a hard left turn in front of you. He does. It gives the 48 the lead, who also stayed on the racetrack. But that was a stage conversation. Ryan Blaney spins out. And guess what? Jimmy Johnson, go back to segment one, has only his second stage win of his career, if you can believe it. There's uh, no way that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that yesterday, and I thought, no, that can't. They're, you're missing a number either in front of that or behind it. One yeah. of the two. And then, listen, it's Pocono. So, of course, we're going to have a caution right outside the fuel window right here. You see the 47 hard impact. Glad to see his, he was okay. Lots of hard impacts in turn one over the years at Pocono. But as I said, 45 laps, 44 laps. We thought everybody could go 40. Right here, you're going to see the 18 come back on the racetrack. I'm not going to disagree with this call because at this point, it's a Hail Mary. He doesn't have a choice. You see all the cars in front of him. I like pitting. That's easy to say on Monday. I think this is a good idea, but it was a little bit of a gamble. Right here really impressed me, though, Jeff, because not only is it the 11 take two tires, but watch this little pause right here. You see that car doesn't go? That is the crew chief making sure it's full of fuel. The four car opts for four tires, but loses a little track position. Yeah, he lost a lot of track position. And, and, and after the race, you heard Denny Hamlin say he knew Eric Jones didn't have as much fuel as he did because yeah. he saw the, the, the 20 not make that little pause. So that gave him the reason just to push him hard. The Hail Mary for Adam Stevens. He needed a yellow before they ran short on fuel. It didn't happen. You see Kyle Busch, he has to come to pit road. and. It goes all the way back to lap 84. That's where this yeah. race got away from the 18. But what this really did, though, guys, is set up one heck of a run to the finish. Because with the 18 out of the way, let me just set the stage. It was basically the 20, the 11, the 19, playing chess at 185 miles an hour. Of how fast can you go and save fuel? Kevin Harvick, surprisingly, I'm, I'm not going to question their fuel mileage, but Rodney Childers, 
is running the whip. We're yeah. good on fuel. Go get him. And boy, Kevin Harvick was coming. He was 10 seconds behind yeah. there at one point in that and past cars. And I'm like, there's no way that they're even considering uh, staying out and making it to the end. But uh, the report was Rodney Chill said, hey, go after it. We got plenty of fuel. I'm not sure that was still the case, but it did work <laughs> out. And he did make a big run at him, too. Well, he made a big run at him, but you mentioned it today earlier on the call. The pass for the lead was impressive. And you even heard uh, Danny in his interview mention the sticky stuff on the racetrack, and that allowed him to get around the 19, which ends up being the pass for basically the win. Yeah, well, so right here you see it was Quinn Huff right here on the outside lane. Denny Hamlin had been running that outside lane, yeah. and he's able to keep momentum. This slows the 78 down. And now what's Denny Hamlin going to do? I'm, I'm sitting there calling it like, he's going to have to push him out of the way. But Quinn moves out of the way, trying to stay out of this race, and that gives Denny Hamlin the outside. Historically, that's not where you want to be, but that application of that PJ one that sticky stuff, that allows Denny Hamlin to run this outside lane with the right side tires in it and complete this pass. Yeah, completed the pass, and he would go on from there and pass his teammate Eric Jones on the outside. Yeah. Just a lap later, uh, down in turn one again, utilizing uh, that very thing again. So knowing the situation and what you have there and playing the game. of I think Denny Hamlin did a great job of probably saving more fuel than the others when he was sitting there running third, just waiting and waiting till that right opportunity came to make that move and then be able to go after it and, and pull it off. So then my nerves instantly switched, though. The question was, could the 11 hold off the 20 and the 19 in the closing laps and save fuel? Would Kevin Harvick get there? Nope. We're going to have a restart. Guys, take me through these restarts <laughs> and how Denny Hamlin kept the lead. Well, Denny Hamlin's in the preferred lane. Eric Jones is a great big push right here. I think, you know, that's huge. These pushes today are such a big part. Martin Truex Jr. on the bottom, you heard him say, on the bottom, there's nothing you can do. That is really not the place you want to be. Right here, I'm thinking Eric's going to be able to get to his left for the quarter panel, but that top lane was just too good for Denny. Yeah, I was really surprised that Harvick didn't make a bigger push there with Truex down on the bottom. Matter of fact, he lost a couple of spots in that. And I think, you know, that kind of took away his options and, and opportunity to go after those three that he had run down because he had gotten to the point that he was in that third spot, which I know is not the preferred place to be, but he still didn't give Truex any help. Well, he made, he, he made a comment after the race that he never he just didn't get great restarts. On yeah. the bottom, you can't have good restarts. You have to have great restarts, and he just didn't get the timing right. And that moved uh, Kyle Larson in the fourth. Yeah. Now he's in the line, and I'm thinking, <laughs> watch out. Well, that's you know he's going to go to the outside. Well, that's what I was thinking. It's one thing to have your teammate pushing you. Luckily for Denny Hamlin, I think the 42 gets a little boxed in here. He has to push. Yes, yeah. When you're on the outside there and the guys stay on the inside, stay up against them, there's nowhere for the 42 to go other than to be on Denny's bumper and give him a good shove down into the corner, which was good because the 20 and the 19 had a really good start there. It just wasn't enough. And I was impressed here that the 11 didn't turn down to the bottom because I questioned if he did, if the 42 couldn't have got to his quarter panel. He almost ran up a groove. And then the 42, I'm going to give him a standing round of applause. Breeze the <laughs> throttle there. Doesn't make contact with the wall. They needed a good finish. And from here, it was basically game over. The 11 ran a perfect last couple laps to end up winning that race. But, guys, like I said, there was a lot of twists and turns. The 18 eliminated themselves with pit strategy, the fuel conservation. In the end, though, it was really dealt on the racetrack. The 11's duel with his teammates, in my mind, was how he ended up winning that race. Well, they were the Gibbs cars are fast all weekend long. We, you know, we, we talked about it several times. It's like, how are you going to beat one of them? Yeah. And Harvick had speed. 
Uh, Daniel Hemrick had a good run. But the, at the end of the day, with the exception of the 18, the fastest cars were in the front. Uh, and, and some of that was strategy, but they had the fastest cars. And when they got there, they were going to be hard, really hard to get around. Yeah, and you talked about the move that Denny made out of turn one, not turning down and maybe trying to block the 20s run. Well, if he does that, the 42 might get enough air to the nose not to push up there and have to breathe the throttle. I applaud uh, Kyle Larson. We don't say many times that he made a decision to come out of the gas because he stays in it pretty much all the time. But this kept him out of the wall. Uh, they had had a tough couple of weeks. But right here, he just has to get out because he's getting no air to the front. So if Denny would have pulled down, he might have had that and been able to make a big run. And things might have turned out a little bit differently. Who knows? I don't know that Denny was going to get past. But but uh, good decisions that Denny Hamlin made all throughout this race. And what a year for Denny Hamlin, guys. I mean, really. Let, let's think about that. This is a guy that went winless last year. That was a big story. I mean, him and Jimmy Johnson were kind of in that bucket together. Um, I, I had heard some whispers like, hey, you know, there's a lot of drivers at Joe Gibbs Racing. When is Denny Hamlin going to be? He put those whispers to bed at Daytona. And in case you thought they were going to come back up, he's continued to win. You see right here, I mean, three wins, 18 playoff points. I, I'm going to have to start putting Denny Hamlin in that category as the best one to have never won a championship. Could this be the year that he crosses that off the list? We'll have that as crew chief, too. Yeah. Yes. His first year as a cup crew chief and, and doing a really good job. And, and he deserves a tremendous amount of credit. And Denny believed in him from day one. And, yeah. and, but he's done a really, really good job. Yeah, and I think you look back over the last five or six races, that's whenever they've really started to perform well together and started showing. We made mention probably three weeks ago uh, that, that this was a team and a driver you're going to have to look at because they had speed. There were a couple of things, still some pit road issues along the way that, that Denny speeding, which he seems to have – gotten under control a little bit better, and then other things going on. But they've put all of that together now, and this is a driver that probably right now at this point seems to be the most confident in his ability to go win races anywhere uh, than at any time in his career, I believe. Well, and both of you guys have said you know, that you believe that Denny Hamlin's underrated. I've heard both of you guys yeah. say he's not appreciated enough. And that, I agree. I, the number of wins that this guy has, the number of poles that he has, he does not have that championship. But – when he had when his best opportunity to win a championship, he wasn't ready. That's right. Right, he just that's wasn't right. ready, yes. and that's okay. Right, yeah. that's okay. He is now. Yes. If you if you get, take Denny Hamlin to Homestead with a shot to win a championship, he's he's a hundred percent ready. He's been ready for for many many years. He just yeah. wasn't ready when that right time came. He's ready now. He would be hard to beat at Homestead and with a shot. Let's be clear. I believe in racing karma. I know he was beating himself up for not moving the four out of the way more at New Hampshire. I think this is the racing karma coming back, saying, "Hey, you gave him a shot." You pushed Get him up the racetrack, you got inside him, you didn't wreck him. And because of that, you're going to reward him with another shot to win the race, and he capitalized. But guys, it's hard to believe. Coming up, we're going to talk about the second place finisher. It's hard to believe that Eric Jones, running as well as he is, is a topic of conversation and what his future possibly is at Joe Gibbs Racing. All right, guys, the NTT IndyCar Series heads to Pocono, where Alexander Rossi continues his pursuit of championship leader Joseph Newgarden. Can Rossi tame the tricky triangle for the second straight year? Find out Sunday, August 18th on NBCSN. That looks familiar, like we were yes, just there. <laughs> we? <laughs> I want to say to everybody, it's so hard putting everything together. And I know people get frustrated because you haven't made a decision yet on some things. But I, I just say this, there's sponsors involved, there's so many relationships involved, 
and you're trying to go through all that and work it all out. Honestly, I think that's part of Eric's world. It doesn't go easy sometimes, and you're working. He knows. I keep him updated. We do. He knows we're working as hard as we can. So hopefully it'll be one of those things we get put in place here pretty quick. All right, guys, so that was a sound. That's Coach Gibbs just yesterday after winning the race with Denny Hamlin. The conversation, just relive it for everybody. The situation, as we all understand it, Christopher Bell, their Xfinity Series driver, is a remarkable talent. Everything we've heard is that he's going to have a seat at the cup level uh, next year. Everyone assumes that's with Joe Gibbs Racing, which is a camp full of great drivers. The dominoes continue to fall, and at this point, I think everyone's pointing to Eric Jones as being the driver out. I'm not sure that audio led one way or the other. How did you read into it? So I, I just think there's – they don't know. I really think that at the point they're trying to work it all out. And, and you, heard, you heard Coach talk about sponsorship and how is sponsorship going to play into this, and that is a huge part. You have to have – and that's nothing new to this sport. Yeah. You have to have sponsorship to, to make all this work and what sponsors are lined up with what drivers and who wants – you know what I mean? And, and where is everybody going to fit? And there's only four seats there. And so, but, but four seats is not enough for Toyota, right? I think that's the conversation. Yeah, so four seats isn't enough for Toyota. So where are the other seats for the Toyota drivers? Because, you know, Matty D this weekend, you know, hey, this is my seat. Nobody can do better than me. Came back today and kind of, you know, said that was a joke. But no, it wasn't. No, no, that no, wasn't no. a joke. No, like, And it shouldn't have been a joke. Yeah, like, exactly. believe in yourself. It's okay what you said. He's a talent. You know, you can't give up on Eric Jones. No. There's too much talent there, right? So you got you got to figure that out. And I think coaches, coach and that whole group, including Toyota, they're smart enough to know. Like, when you have talent, you can't give it up. Because crew chiefs matter, cars matter, engines matter, aerodynamics matter. Driver matters, too. you got to have it all if you're going to compete at this level. Yeah. Joe Gibbs has been in this type of situation his entire life from being a coach in the NFL probably having to either release or trade people that he knew might be a help, but someone else coming in or for financial situations. And in this case, uh, a lot of it is. He just pointed out sponsorships make a difference. That's what you're doing. I, I think it's, you know, in a perfect world, and nobody ever said that when you become a, a driver in NASCAR, especially in Cup, that everything was going to be fair or perfect. Uh, matter of fact, most of the time it's very imperfect. You make the most of what you can. But I think that it would be very unfair for Eric Jones, in my mind, not to stay in this seat at least another year or two. And, and I'll be quite honest in, in saying this much, too, that Christopher Bell is outstanding. He's going to be a really, really good driver. But if you give me the choice and say sponsorships are there to do whatever you want to do, Eric Jones deserves to be in that car more because it's going to take Christopher Bell a little bit of time to learn how to run up front, and then learn how to win at the cup level because there's so much talent that is out there. Eric Jones is ready to win at any moment right now. And then he could win. He might lose his ride, find out that he's not going to be in that 20 car and go win three races. That could easily happen in this situation. So I just feel like I feel strongly that Eric Jones is a tremendous talent that is very capable of winning races and challenge for championship in the Cup Series. I mean, the struggle I have with the situation is with the limitation of Cup drivers on the Xfinity level. I have yet to see Eric Jones and Christopher Bell duel head-to-head -head in like equipment. And what I mean by that is Christopher Bell is tremendous. I, I'm not going to take anything away from him. And he is going to be tremendous, which yeah. is my point. Why are we in such a hurry? He wins, he's going to win, and he is great. But I've seen a lot of great guys, say William Byron, say Daniel Suarez. Those are two champions on Saturday. They are learning on Sunday. I'm not saying they're not going to be great, right, but they're cutting their teeth. I agree with you that Christopher Bell 
has some teeth cutting to do when he moves up. Eric Jones is already there. Do we have to relive the Joey Logano scenario? I feel like we're having that conversation all over again. So I, if it was me and the sponsors were there, I would find a way to get Christopher Bell in, I hate to say this to Matty D, but I'd put him in the 95 and let him learn how to race on Sundays. But it's easy to say here. You know, it's a great problem to have. Guess what? You have four seats and five great drivers. Yeah. And poor Matty D over here who is running the bestest cars ever well, run. And, and, and so who at what team that isn't Toyota is yeah. sitting there doing, yeah. yeah, you know, because you got Eric Jones sitting there that we all agree, we all agree can win races. We got Christopher Bell that we all agree may need some time. I, I'm a little bit on – not comparing Christopher to Eric because I, I wouldn't know how. How do you do it? But, I, I mean, I've watched him race a lot, not just in Cup. I've watched him race late models. I've watched him race a lot of stuff. I think they're both exceptionally capable. The only thing about Christopher Bell is I believe he is more mature than some of the rookies that have come in recently. Mm, he has he has a lot of racing experience, and he's he's older than yeah. some of the other guys that have come in. So I think he's more ready than some other rookies that we've come seen come in. But if there are not enough seats at the table, right? It, Eric Jones is going to be cup racing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. Christopher just, Bell is going to be cup racing. Yes, yeah. yes. So who is nervous, right? Yeah. And on top of that, you know, if everything works out, like, we need a great rookie battle. So, not only are we talking about Eric Jones or Christopher Bell, we're also talking about Tyler Reddick. Mm. We're talking about Christopher Bell, right? We get Old the big Custer. three, just, yeah. right? We're talking about the big three and expense. Like, if all three of those guys can move together, uh, you know, that, is, that would be a great amount of energy that's put into the Cup Series. You're yeah. talking about the opportunity for three people to come into not just – Christopher Bell, and yeah. that can change a lot of things. I will have to say that watching that, though, I think we all had to notice that Denny Hamlin said, I'm glad that I've signed my contract and I won the Daytona 500 and yes. two other races, and I'm not in this conversation whatsoever. Yeah, he uh, didn't want to be up on that when Coach was talking about no, it. He was no, like, where can uh, I go hide? I'm, I, I don't want to. It's, it's a terrible, it, it's yeah. uncomfortable. We've, uh, we've been there where you are, you feel like you're pretty secure and some other people aren't. You want to be secure for sure, but you yeah. also know what it feels like. Sure. It's a horrible. To even be in that conversation. Yes, horrible. Yes, so All good. I know is that I can give the list of names. Kurt Busch, every time he gets in somewhere, he runs good. He's won. There's a list of drivers who have not. Those drivers perhaps should be way more concerned than Eric Jones because yeah. if he comes available, guess what? Keep your phone charged, Eric, because I'm confident people are going to be calling. So, uh, hey, great problem if you're a TRD, I guess. If you're going to have a problem, the best thing to do is figure out where to put all of the talent. So, well, coming up, the next stop on our grassroots tour, head to the Magnolia State of Mississippi. All right, guys, it's that time again. The next stop in our 50 States in 50 Days tour brings us to Mississippi and the Jackson Motor Speedway. This one-third of a mile oval is covered with what's called gumbo-type dirt. I don't know how that works, but this Southern Gem features six weekly divisions, including late models and modifieds. And one of the track's signature events is the All-American 60, held in November. Back in June, the track hosted round seven of the United Sprint Car Series Sprint Speed Week, 
where Derek Haker took home the title. Some sprint cars on some gumbo dirt. Yeah, I like gumbo that. Dirt. I like that. What's gumbo dirt? Never heard of that. I don't know. They seems to work pretty good. They got six series running there on a weekly basis. So. Can you eat it? Because I, I like some gumbo. <laughs> this program, guys, has been great. It's been so much fun. And over 500 local short tracks across America taking part in the program to bring attention to grassroots racing. I love these placards. How about this one, guys, at Potomac Speedway up in Maryland? Yeah, it looks like this. Look at the little guy holding a checkered flag, man. He got it done that night. That's awesome. And then down in Florida, North Florida Speedway, Lake City, Florida. I love all these kids in these pictures. Yeah, man. yeah. the family cool. aspect of it at the short tracks is just so great. You, you see it all across the country. And uh, State Line Speedway. And you see, you know, it's so much fun to see these winners and how much they appreciate their uh, being a part of this and being in Victory Lane. I can't get my man a new crew shirt. It looked like he was maybe a, uh, an official holding a checkered flag. <laughs> I don't know. We got to have to get them, uh, get them cleaned up. But, guys, a big week ahead here on NASCAR America. We have so much going on. Uh, Tuesday, let's see Chase Elliott with our man on the Dale Jr. download. Yes, I'm no telling what those two could talk uh -huh. about. Famous fathers in the sport. Then Motor Mouse. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I can't think of a better week. The Mississippi guy is going to be on motorsports. And let me give you a little hint. He was a little unhappy with somebody at Pocono. We're going to talk about that later. And as always, every day, 5 p.m. Eastern, right here on NBCSN. But coming up, guys, we're going to talk bubble trouble. We're going to look at the playoff picture and who perhaps had a little bit of trouble at Pocono. didn't have any racing luck on our side today. Um, Skittles Camry was really fast two weeks in a row. We were really fast and just have nothing to show for it. So uh, proud of my guys, but come up short. We were just off all day. It was disappointing. I thought after practice we were going to be pretty good. And uh, we just never really went anywhere and, and tried to switch a couple things up. And could never really had the speed to stay up there or go forward. So that was kind of frustrating. I was not very optimistic about today. And I, I thought we'd be lucky to run top 20. And we got stage points, good stage points, and then a good finish. So, um, you know, great day for Credit One Bank and Chip Ganassi Racing and go to Watkins Glen and track that's a little sketchy in practice. So uh, I'll have to be a little careful. Uh, did a great job today. We did everything right except for, you know, the, the timing of the cautions and, and have it all go our way. But uh, could have done a couple things better on those restarts, but bottom lane was tough treading today. We were in good shape there. We had a good day overall. You know, we, we, we weren't the fastest car, but, um, you know, couple of those guys, 18 and 11 were really strong, 20 was pretty good, but we were in position there to win it, uh, or put ourselves in position to win, and 11 got us there in that lap traffic, and that was really the game changer. You know, Marty, I thought we were going to steal one at the end on fuel mileage, and one of those cars, like 25 laps down, decided to stop in the middle of the racetrack and ruin about half a dozen of our days. I don't know, there's like 10 different exits back there, and he decided to stop right in the middle of the racetrack. I'm, I'm going to have to get an explanation on that one. Glad we got another chance to re-rack and go get a couple more of those spots back that we gave up saving fuel. and. It's good to be able to do it at this level, prove everybody you can do it at this level. Every Sunday we're all out here battling, racing for our jobs, for our livelihood, and to have a good day, that's what it's all about. I knew we had a good car. Um, you know, things changed throughout the race and, and hotter conditions, everything starting at the back is tough, but uh, you know, I knew we had a good car, so to finish in the top five is, is definitely a great day. Well, you see right here, William Byron right there doing well, 62 yeah. points ahead. Guys, five races left in the regular season, seven spots still up for grabs. The pressure is building. But I think we have to talk about what Brad said. That last caution did seem a little questionable. Uh, Josh Blicky's car right there stops. He wants the deal. So he asked him on Twitter, hey, man. What's the deal with this last question? Well, Josh Balicki was kind enough to respond and say, hey, I'll tell you what happened. I broke a drive shaft. 
and I have never been in a car that broke a drive shaft, but I can imagine that gets your attention, and you don't want to roll any farther than you have to. Yeah, I mean, it came off the turn one with a lot of speed, it looked like, and then all of a sudden just stopped. I couldn't figure it out at first either, but this answers the question. Uh, he wasn't going to make it back around with that issue. Well, we saw we saw Alex Bowman break a drive shaft in New Hampshire, and they had to go to a backup car yeah. because of it, the damage it did. So imagine being inside that car with it tearing all the stuff, and it's, it's a loud noise and pretty scary. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but we talk about that playoff picture and how it affected different drivers. Jeff, you brought this up on Sunday. Moments throughout the season that perhaps don't get covered because they're not in the top five or the top ten. That final caution comes out. The 14 of Clint Boyer says, you know what, I don't know if I have enough fuel or maybe it was a great strategy call. I don't know. He hangs the left, comes to pit road, puts on four fresh tires right here. Yeah, I'm thinking, what are you doing, man? Like, why are you <laughs> and, and Because I just thought this was crazy, but he was able to, to rally. He restarted 20th, I believe, and rallied and finished 11th. Yeah, That's a big pickup. He's 12 points to the good right now. You know, if he doesn't just find a way to get through there. And I know tires helped him a little bit, but will and desire matters too. And he found a way to fight and get those positions. And that, listen, man, they have been so close to either in or out. You have so many wild card races coming up. Those positions picked up may be the difference between him getting in or not. Yeah, yeah. look at right here, the final restart. Bora made a big move. Kyle Busch was good all day. Logano and Matty D back there, finished 17th. Another driver, though, who kind of went the opposite way. Daniel Suarez in the 41. They talked about this in the driver's meeting, DJ. This is something that's been happening and getting worse and getting worse. These drivers laying back, but they made a comment. They said, guys, there will be no more laying back. We're going to penalize you. And on Sunday, it was the 41. Fair warned. And, hey, I understand as a driver, especially with the horsepower that they have now and trying to make a move. You can see Daniel Suarez, he timed it perfectly. Unfortunately, it's just not legal. You can't lay back that much and get that run. Otherwise, if it were okay, everybody would be doing it, and the restarts would be more crazy and more dangerous than what they already are. So, uh, But unfortunately for Daniel Suarez and this 41 team, they their, their graph is going to show them in the last four weeks going mm. really down. They were had got themselves in a really good spot, and now he's on the outside with a 31-point deficit right now uh, trying to pass some really good drivers uh, uh, in these next five races. And then I'm not sure what happened. There was so much going on at the front, I didn't see this. But then after the race, here's Suarez and Bubba Wallace having a, I thought it was just a little disagreement, but then you notice the hand, there's a hand on the shoulder and then a hand on the chest. That's usually how it starts to build up. They made a little bit of fun of it on social media, but obviously a disagreement with these two drivers. Well, part, listen, part of the problem with these two drivers is the results, right? Yeah. And yeah. so when something happens on the track and on top of how you're running, it just, you know, it just keeps adding to the frustration level and uh, Daniel Suarez is obviously they're frustrated with each other but some of it is just the fact that neither one of them is running as well as they want to be running. Yeah and I appreciate Daniel going over and, and trying to you know get an explanation as to what may have happened a lot of times that would diffuse something. You put your hand on a guy once or twice that might take it in a whole nother direction so it <laughs> seems like they might have worked it out. Well you use the word diffuse. Anything but the fuse in the situation between Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Kurt Busch. So if you go back right here, I I'm not going to say what happened. I mean, they all get stacked up. Jeff, give me your opinion on what happens. Well, it's five wide. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, five wide coming out, of, you know, off of turn one at Pocono, something's going to happen. And unfortunately for, you know, see right there, Clint's up the racetrack, but this car's underneath him too. Where's he going to go? And, and the 17's on top of all of it. And he comes, both of the 17 and the one ended up. And then, you know, it looks like to me that, 
that uh, he had just had enough. Said, you know what, you ran me in the wall, so yeah. around you go. So DJ, yeah. in your time, maybe you wouldn't go see him after the race, maybe a phone call. Well, in 2019, you sent a tweet. So Kurt says, guys, <laughs> after sleeping on it, I'm gonna take the high road, and hopefully he won't wreck me up there as well. And Stenhouse, he fires right back. Well, you can take the road on over here if you want. You have my number. I've seen call out Ricky Stenhouse. He's not mixing many words right there. That's to the point. No, no. Yeah, you can mix it up however you want with Ricky Stenhouse, but you're going to get something fired back at you with him. He's very fiery and doesn't mind saying exactly what's on his mind. And, uh, you know, the frustration level there once again. He wasn't running where he wanted to. They thought they had had a strategy that might get them, you know, possibly even steal them a win late in that race by coming to pit road uh, there uh, right at the end before they threw the green flag to get some more fuel. So uh, frustration sets in, but uh, not mentioning any words there either. Well, then, Bubba, he had a solution. Did you see his solution? Uh, if our bosses see this, be careful. This might be the pre-race show because Bubba put on there. He goes, I think what we should do, we'll have a cage match. Him wow. right here. This is great, right? Pocono cage match. <laughs> Bubba Wallace, Daniel Squares, Stenhouse, and Kurt Busch. He said he'd pay to see it. Then I saw Alex Bowman chime in, and then they said, well, actually, you could jump in the cage too. So there's a lot going on. Watkins Glen is already a tough racetrack. I'm not sure which battle I'm going to want to watch more. Well, if we were going to Texas, Eddie would have the ring put up. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Gossage would be installing the ring right now. And I'll guarantee you that those fans that line that infield at Watkins Land oh, would love to see that. They'll clear out a spot for these boys to come over if they want to go Saturday out. Saturday night, they'll give them a room between the two concerts. But Listen, guys, no, no, so, I, I, so here's the thing. I don't believe the Senate House has a whole lot to lose. Never mess with a man that's madder than you or has less to lose than you. <laughs> I see him in the gym all no the time, so I want no part of that. But, guys, the big news of the day, Jimmy Johnson. Well, we're fortunate enough that coming up next, we'll hear from Jimmy Johnson himself about the crew chief change at the 48 car. We're going to call this race a little differently than we normally do. We're going to call it radio style. The Asses will be covered by Mike Bagley. Fans jumping up and down, yelling, screaming, losing their minds here at Watkins Glen. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will have the inner loop and into turn five. Truex is definitely putting the pressure off. Jeff Burton has turn six and seven. Trouble right in front of me. Joey Logano in the sand. This race comes down to these two drivers right now. Headed up the back straightaway. Radio style times two this weekend, yeah. not just the cup race. We got the Xfinity race on Saturday from the Glen. How much fun is this going to be? It's going to be a lot of fun, but I got to catch up on my sleep. That's, I don't know how those guys do it radio <laughs> style every week. The MRN guys, the PRN guys, that's a lot of work, man. I can't, it's hard to keep up with what's going on out there. It's, it's much more difficult. Yeah, it's a great listen, though. I tell you, from a TV perspective and sitting watching yesterday from Pocono, and I know that Watkins Land, totally different, but a lot of fun for me to, to listen to these guys because, again, it's a different idea than just watching a screen somewhere. They're calling what they're seeing happening right on the track. I'm going to need a little more sunscreen this week. <laughs> <laughs> a little more sunscreen? I'm going to need another battery for my calculator. So uh, it's one of those days. But, guys, Guys, the big news of the day. We led with it at the top of the show. A quick reminder, Jimmy Johnson, seven championships, 83 wins, a crew chief change. Kevin Mendring, who was new this season, is going to be replaced by Cliff Daniels. We had an opportunity to talk to Jimmy and his new crew chief, and let's see what they both think of the situation. We made an engineer change leading into the Sonoma race. Cliff came back on the road with us, and just, just right away there was a spark there that, that I'm not sure we were aware we were kind of missing. But, it, you know, as the weeks went on, um, it's just something that was so strong that, that not only myself but, but Hendrick Motorsports felt like we needed to pursue. Um, 
Kevin is a wonderful guy. He didn't do anything wrong, um, but we just there's just something here, and there's always that fit factor in relationships and people. And I, I would assume the history that Cliff and I have together, all the years together, we're just just hitting on a little different level, and that's something that, that we need to pursue and to do everything that we can to get this 48 back to victory lane. It's really cool. It's a great honor. It's a great opportunity. I'm, I'm very grateful to, to Jimmy, to everyone here on the Hendrick Motorsports Complex, to Mr. H. And uh, we, we have a great history of how we communicate, the things that we've been to through the highs and the lows. Um, so we're ready to hit the ground running. Chad and, and Cliff have some very similar traits, some not so similar, but definitely some similar traits. Mm-hmm. Um, his leadership prowess and just natural ability to, to lead and motivate people is something that's very strong. Um, Chad clearly has that. We've both learned so much from Chad and, and have been able to apply that to our lives that, you know, as, as Cliff moves into this role, and honestly, it's what helped him shine over the last, you know, four or five weeks, that leadership quality. Um, you know, we, we, we need that in the group, and, and he's, he's going to do a phenomenal job. So real quick, guys, you t- heard about the years together. The quick summary, Cliff joined Hendrick Motorsports in 2014 to work with the 48 team. He was there through the 2016 championship, took another role within the company off the road, was called back this year at Sonoma. That's what Jimmy referenced, that they've been working together. So uh, crew chief change at the 48. We knew they couldn't have been happy with the performance being outside the playoff picture. Are you surprised at the timing and at the choice? I'm not surprised at the timing at all, and I think, I think internally – uh, obviously they have to make the decision and it's hard to know, you know, all of the things that they're talking about and what they felt like they were missing. You know, generally when you hire somebody, they have a trait that you feel like wasn't there before, right? Mm-hmm. And you keep hearing energy and you saw it. You saw when Cliff was talking, he had this, you know, confidence about him and that matters. And every team, jobs have to be get, how jobs have to get done and you have to have certain personalities and you have to have that right mix. And I think this was as much about Cliff's personality as it was his ability. Yeah, and I think that Rick Hendrick understood that, hey, we need, we've got a new sponsor here uh, for Jimmy Johnson. We need to make sure that we get into the playoffs. So changing something just – and energy kept coming up and talking about that. And so, uh, you know, I applaud them for making the move, not being afraid to. Rick Hendrick's never been afraid to, to do things and, and that he feels like will make his company and especially his top-name driver that, that is right there helping him. And what we didn't show there was Jimmy kind of pushed Cliff off said, go get back to work. Uh, <laughs> you work all night. I'll bring you some coffee. I was going to say coffee and a donut, but Cliff looked more like the guy that might be a yogurt parfait guy. So yeah. I'll bring you some coffee. You just work all night and get this right. I think it's a perfect example. We talk about the pressure of the playoffs and making the playoffs. We talked about it the whole time. Nobody wants to be on that team that misses the playoffs with Jimmy Johnson. I think that the organization is kind of backed into a corner where change is required. And it's not necessarily because someone doesn't understand or they're not good at their job. This relationship between driver and crew chief is so complicated. You guys have both on the driver's side. I've been there as the crew chief side. There's so many people that used to help me do my job, but I was usually the only guy talking to you, the driver. That has to be the the best point of contact. And Jimmy's in uncharted territory. Yeah. Right? Now there's a lot of pressure on Jimmy. There's been a second crew chief change. So there's a lot of pressure on Jimmy that he's a different kind of pressure than what he's accustomed to. All right, well, that's it. Danny Hamlin, big win at Pocono. That's all for us here at Charlotte Canaan Pro Series East Racing from New Hampshire is next. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.